Welcome to another episode of The Story I Tell Myself. This week, I have my dear friend Meg Wright on with me. They say you'll make some of the best friendships of your life in college. In 2017, when I first started college, if you'd told me that one of them would have been Meg Wright, I would have choked on whatever I was getting drunk on that night and told you to get your head checked. We've got such different personalities. At times, I'm pretty sure she might just be the loudest, craziest person I've ever met, and I would have never thought that she'd end up being one of my favourite people to talk to. No matter how different we are, the one thing that's always brought us together is the importance of looking after your mental health, being kind to yourself, and the amazing things that that can bring to life and those around us. It seems like almost every conversation I have with Meg could have made an awesome podcast, and I'm so glad that we finally got to it. In this episode, we talk about life as we transition into new phases of our lives, the harsh expectations we hold ourselves to, battles with worthiness, and there's some other stuff in there too. I had a great time making this podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy it too. The last time we spoke, Melbourne was the one running free and Singapore was in lockdown. But how the tables have turned now with Melbourne going back into lockdown and Singapore opening up. Definitely. It's a, it's a weird time. Normally yeah. we'd be sitting, you know, on a bed somewhere, kid, somewhere. I mean, we'd normally be sitting on your bed or my bed or a couch having a chat. And now we're Zooming in two different countries that are having... Uh, I guess, similar experiences of the virus, but our individual states are having very different experiences. Uh, it's kind of odd being in Australia where I thought we were going to be, thought we were going to be at a point now where we had a really good handle on it. And to be in the opposite place to what I was expecting has been challenging. You know, when expectations aren't met, there's a bit of disappointment. <laughs> and this one turns out to be at an entire state level rather than an individual one. Yeah. How are you finding unlocking? Uh, yeah, it's been good. I think, you know, it's getting that physical interaction that was lacking for so long. Mm. Um, I haven't really found a big difference in terms of what I've been up to, but it's just, yeah, that, that physical interaction has been so valuable and it's just great to be out and being able to, you know, see people face to face and mm. Yeah. Have you found that it's given you more energy? Oh, hundred um, percent. But it's also helped me realize like how draining connecting and socializing is. It gives me like so much energy to go out and do stuff and see all my friends and, you know, play sports, exercise. And then I just come back at the end of the day, just absolute exhausted. It just reminds me of how much energy it actually takes to yeah. socialize in person. That's probably like the difference between us. Would you consider yourself an introvert? Yeah, I, I definitely do now. I <laughs> recently took like my Myers-Briggs personality test, not having taken it for about a year or so. Yeah. It went straight from extrovert entertainer to introvert. And I think it's moved something like from 60% extrovert to 60% introvert. Wow, that's amazing. It's so interesting that your personality and what would be considered like core elements can change so much in so little time. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like being an extrovert and on the far end of the scale, I'll get so much energy from a social interaction, even on Zoom, like right now, 
I'm going to leave this phone call bouncing with like more energy to go about the rest of the things in my day. So yeah, lockdown's been an interesting experience. And I would say overall, I have less energy. Yeah. And, and how's that all coincided with all the new things you're starting? I know that you're you started a couple of interesting things in the last few weeks and yeah, how's that all been with the situation that's unfolded? Yeah, it's been an extremely odd year, not only in terms of the pandemic, the virus that is taking over the world, um, but also it's such a new year for me. It's my first year out of uni, my first year in a real job. And in the last couple of weeks, I started a whole bunch of other new things as well and so I started another new job um, I've just entered a new relationship I've got new friends from the beginning of the year that I'm wanting to maintain started a new medication it's just there's a lot you know it's like all within the space of a month and I think it's been making me reflect a lot on how my brain handles things that are new because I think we do gravitate towards the familiar because it's comfortable and there are the le levels of that within each of us and how adventurous we all are and how much we seek new experiences. And I always identified as somebody that sought out new experiences and loved new things and challenges. But now I'm reflecting like that there's a limit for me personally. I'm like, wow, there's a, there's like a, you have a cup of emotions, but you also have a cup of like new stuff that you can hold, I reckon. And my cup of new things that I'm experiencing at the moment is full. <laughs> and it's been, it's not, it's not overflowing yet, but I'm like, whoa, what a, what a year 2020. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then the pandemic. like <laughs> Just, yeah, adding something else onto your plate. <laughs> yeah. Was there specific incidents that helped you come to this realisation? Yeah, I think that I was having a conversation uh, with a friend the other day about how we think that the negative experiences in our lives are the ones that often make us turn around and question things and self-reflect rather than the positive ones. Yeah, so I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with my boss that was maybe what you could say a more negative experience that really made me sit and reflect on, I guess, what was going on for me and how I was handling these new experiences. And it made me realize that I have like, a, I guess, a common, a common set of circumstances and feelings that arise that have been kind of like crucible moments for me. And those crucible, crucible moments have been when I have high expectation of myself, there's high expectation from others, and it's a new role that I'm starting that's without a rule book. And I think that this, these two new jobs that I'm starting at the moment, I'm working on stuff that the company or Australia or the world has never done before. And so there's no path of what to follow. And it's like, where do you go? Like, what do you do? And you want to impress people and you want to do the right thing, but it's your first time as well. And as Brene Brown says, FFT, fucking first time, <laughs> hard. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's been a common situation that I've realised I've found myself in a couple of times now where I find myself anxious and overwhelmed, but I think I need to come back to remembering that it is an FFT, it is a fucking first time, and I give it my best, and hopefully other people will see that too. Yeah. So it sounds to me like 
you know, this is not your first time going through this and coming to this realization. Was there another time in which you found yourself in a similar situation? Yeah, definitely. Um, the other time that I can reflect on that I had, I guess, the exact same set of emotions and a similar kind of circumstance was my second year of college at university. And it wasn't necessarily for me the scary thing moving out of home and being first year and making new friends and living in a completely new environment. I actually found that really easy, really rewarding. Something I think I've always been quite naturally good at is making friends quickly and connecting with others. I think the thing I've always maybe struggled with slightly that came to fruition in my second year was I had a leadership position and I've always struggled with trying to balance my own expectations and others and then balance again what's good for me and what's good for everyone else. And I think the similarities in what I'm experiencing now and what I experienced in my second year at college is they were new jobs. They were new jobs that had leadership elements. Uh, there was a lot of people watching. There's a lot of people expecting a lot from you. You expect a lot of yourself because you want to perform, because you, you want to do an awesome job, because you're passionate about it. But again, no clear rule book, no clear guide. The people that you ask help from at college in your second year are also other students that have never done it before, that have no idea that might be their like second ever leadership position. <laughs> and it's like putting a whole bunch of drunk mice blindfolded in a box and asking them to buy <laughs> something like. Literally drunk, though. Literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you know, what you said then that really, you know, shot out for me is just having such high expectations of yourself. And yeah, of course, we met, we met in college. And, you know, that's how I became such great friends. And yeah, just you saying then about that experience of all these expectations and just had me thinking back to my time in college. And yeah, just the expectation that you put on yourself to all of a sudden to just have all the answers or know what's right for these 300 other college kids who also don't know what's going on and yeah I know I just, I just think I put so much pressure on myself mm. just to just to be who I thought I needed to be and help people in a way that I thought I needed to help them uh, yeah it's such a crazy circumstance that I don't think I'm ever gonna find myself in really again because I guess the big difference between what I was feeling back at college and like you probably also experienced as well. And then like what you feel like now when you find yourself in something similar, like with me, with my new jobs uh, is back then I had no real level of self-awareness and I didn't have many of the tools that I needed to actually help me get through that experience. There's like the idea that at 19, I could have somehow had the tools and knowledge to be able to help others in the way that I expected myself to and deliver whilst also trying to do university, whilst also trying to keep up socially. Like I look back on that and I'm, I'm like, whoa, I was so hard on myself. I expected so much. I was this stupid little bubba. And I think now I've got, yeah, it's, 
I've got way more perspective on the fact that I'm also a stupid little bubba, but I'm like a bit, bit brainier, but I'm still, I'm still new and I'm allowed to not know. Whereas back then, I feel like we just thought we had to know. Did you find that kid? You thought like you just had to have the answers? Yeah, I think a little bit, a little bit. I, I think this is a really interesting point and I kind of want to, you know, almost sit us both back in the time machine and just go back and to the mindset we were in when we were in college and the stories that we were telling ourselves at that point. Oh, I think I'd be so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> like me now, if I went back now and had a look at me back then, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd feel so much love towards her and I would be so, I'd just want to give her a big cuddle and be like, go for a run, have a beer. <laughs> no. um, but I think I'd be doing so many things that, I guess when I say embarrassed, what I really mean is I feel, I guess for me, I think everyone feels embarrassment differently. And I feel embarrassed when, when I feel like I've had misdirected energy. That's probably a really weird, a, a really weird example because I feel like well, that's not what a lot of people's embarrassment's about. I'm somebody that's constantly being silly. And if I got embarrassed about me being silly, I'd be embarrassed all the time. <laughs> I, get, I get embarrassed when I've put a lot of time and energy into something that didn't need that level of time and energy. Yeah. I go, oh, I know I've just done all of this. I shouldn't have, I should have put that time and energy here, yeah. somewhere else. And that makes me feel embarrassed. And yeah. I think that going back and having a look at young little Bubba Meg, I probably feel embarrassed because I go, you're spending so much time and energy on the wrong stuff, babe. But yeah. I'd also, I also know that she gets there. She learns. And here I am. You know, talk, talking about energy, you know, my mind just goes back to, you know, first impressions. One of my first impressions of college, Meg. And of course, I was a first year when you were in your leadership position and like coming in for orientation and everything and just, oh scary high energy like intense meg all the time what was that like oh i think that that was such a front a committee front that we'd um the leadership position had kind of brought out i think people would say who know me well that they see elements of myself in that because you can't you can't be something you're not, but I exaggerated elements of myself in that role that overall weren't healthy. And I think that that level of intensity, like I still have, and I'm still um, a high energy person and I always have been, and I always will be, I hope. And that's something I really like about myself, but the way I directed it was so was so odd and it felt like there was a reason for it back then but now I look back on it and I'm like oh and I think first impressions are so interesting as well because they can dictate the way a relationship will go but they won't necessarily show you who someone is and I don't think that I could say either that my first impression of you I thought we were going to be this close and be such good friends and click and resonate on so many of these things that we love talking about and talking about life. Mm, yeah, for sure. <laughs> now I'm just trying to think back to what I was in my first year of college and stuff going through my head. I think the word that keeps popping up is worthiness. Mm, yeah. 
you know, similarly to, you know, what I was like in my leadership position, all of them is this the struggle to be worthy of being in the position and to proving that, you know, I deserve to be here and I'm in this position for a reason. And going back to, you know, myself as col- in college, it's, yeah, just the struggle with worthiness. Like, how do I be popular kid in college how to make the most friends you know although I had done all these things beforehand like I'd gone to the army and I'd taken a gap year and I'd come to college older than most people who are straight out of high school there's still that air of worthiness and you know what I had to tell myself I needed to be if it was you know in college fashion going out and getting absolutely sloshed and drinking heaps and doing stupid stuff because that was what everyone else was doing or everyone else thought they had to do. And I think not to be critical, but looking to you as the senior leader of college and the leader in college. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought I had to match that energy in a way and match the energy of everyone else around me because that's what we needed to do. Mm, It's so interesting, isn't it? That, it's an assumption by the people underneath leaders that in order to be valued and in order to be worthy of your place, you have to be like one of them. And I think that is such a flaw in human thinking because we're never, I mean, we should strive for diversity and leadership and we should strive, we should demand diversity and leadership. But we should also, I think, recognise that there are never going to be enough leadership positions to represent every, and this goes for the whole world, there are never going to be enough leadership positions in the world to represent every type of unique person. And I think we need to become better as leaders and better as followers at encouraging people to be themselves and to figure out what they want, make mistakes, but then be true to you. And I think maybe that's harder in an Australian culture where maybe peer pressure is, I mean, I've never lived in another culture before, but I feel like peer pressure is quite a strong element of our culture because of our drinking culture. And ultimately, I just want everyone to be happy being them. A a friend of mine recently uh, said to me, you know what's cool, Meg? You know what's cool? You know what's attractive? You know what's hot? Being yourself. And I was like, whoa, that is so true. The people that I find the most exciting to be around, the people I find the most attractive or or like attractive for me to spend time with are people that are comfortable in themselves. And I think that feels like a hard job to achieve in today's world where there feels like there's only certain types of people that get praise or get worthiness. And if you don't fit that bill, then you're just never going to get it. And I think we have to rebel against that because that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about this with you now, Kit, and the notion of worthiness that you brought up just really brings to mind this one particular story. Uh, We were all together, leadership team, um, getting drunk as we did all the time. (laughs) And I remember I ended up crying in the toilets because I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. I didn't deserve the position. I didn't understand why these people wanted to be my friend. I didn't understand why my partner at the time wanted to date me and just became this negative spiral of me believing, fully believing that I wasn't worthy and then projecting that onto everything I had achieved. And I find that so interesting now because I think part of the reason that kind of that moment sparked that feeling of unworthy 
or not, not feeling worthy was all of these new things in my life. Like, you know, a new leadership position, a new relationship, new expectations, no rule book, no guidelines to follow. And then because I felt like I didn't know how to do all of that and the fact that it was all new created this anxiety. And then the anxiety and the feelings of being overwhelmed made me feel like, well, if you feel this way, then you're not worthy. You're not coping, you're not managing. And I, I took that as fact. And I think the reason I find that so interesting now is after like a couple of years of going to see a psychologist and talking about all of that, now that I'm in the same position again of new job, new relationship, new expectations, no rule book, my thought process behind it is so different rather than feeling like because I don't know, I'm therefore not worthy. I'm feeling like scared, still feeling scared because I don't know how it's all going to go. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I still feel a bit overwhelmed because there's a lot of lot to do and there's not that many hours in the day. But my internal dialogue now is so different. It's way more forgiving. It's rather than bullying myself, I'm compassionate. I'm understanding that I don't have to have all of the answers in order to be worthy. Yeah. And going with the theme of like narratives, what did that voice sound like to you back then? It literally said, why are they your friends? Why would they want to be your friends? They mean so much to you, but you probably don't mean anything to them. Why would they want to spend time with you? You're so like, you put your foot in your mouth all the time. You say things that aren't cool, probably offended someone. Why? I mean, I could go on. <laughs> um, it's literally having conspiracy theories about all of your yourself. relationships and yourself. Like, yeah. not about whether the world's flat, but about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And... How did that start to change or when did it start to change? And mm. I think it really started to change about six months into seeing a psych. Mm. I think seeing a psychologist um, was a massive game changer. I wish everyone would go. I think that's an incredible space to reflect on yourself and learn how to be a better version of that for not only yourself, but for other people around you. Yeah, I think that that was what really started to shift the way I treat myself. Yeah. And yeah, with all those like, stories that you were telling yourself, what did you think the effect was on you know, your relationships or how you carried yourself? Mm, great question. I think that at the time, I thought what I was telling myself was true. I believed it. I didn't realize that that thinking was a product of anxiety. Um, which I now call Anxious Annie. And sometimes she comes to visit. But I, I say those thoughts, they're not real. They're not grounded in fact. But I think the product at the time, knowing when I believed them, when I thought they were real, I think it manifested in an equal kind of amount of trying to give more so that I would get people to like me more, but also simultaneously pulling away because I didn't want to be rejected. So I was kind of oscillating between I care heaps, I want to feel content in this relationship um, and valued to then like not seeking it because I was, I had assumed that they were getting that somewhere else and I shouldn't waste my time on, on that. And so that would be like pulling away, putting heaps in. I'm not sure how it would have felt for the other people in those relationships, 
because they might have seen consistency, I'm not too sure. But I think in terms of my leadership role, that would go from being putting like 30 hours in one week into like committee and college. And then the next week being like, I don't care. I'm not doing anything. And bouncing back and forth. And I think that consistency is now a uh, something I look for in my life and in relationships because I've realized after that experience how draining that is. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you just mentioned it, I just that idea of giving heaps and then pulling away takes me back to my role as well. And you know, the pastoral care role in nature consisted a lot of talking to people, helping them deal with their problems. I think one of the biggest takeaways I've always, you know, been reminded of is how many people actually have issues to work with. And, you know, I signed up for the job because I thought I had the disciplinary experience from the military to bring it into college. And that's what I was looking for in it and what I thought I could give. And I was so surprised by the amount of people that actually came to me with feelings, thoughts, issues. Mm. And I think because I didn't expect that, I also didn't expect the toll that it would have on me. You know, when you talked about like cycles of giving heaps and then turning away, I remember almost having days on end which I wouldn't leave my room mm. because I was so drained. Mm. I think the hardest thing that I told myself at that point was that I was fine. Mm. Like, you know, I can deal with it. People would come and ask me like, oh, are you taking on too much of other people's like baggage? And how's that affecting you? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I just need to take a few days off. And then I would literally just take a few days off and game for three days at a time, not see the sun. And it's just strange that to me, I thought that that was okay. Like it was my coping mechanism, I think, and worked at the time. But I always feel like perhaps I shouldn't have let myself get to that point. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Totally resonates, Kit. Totally resonates. So I think something I haven't mentioned yet as well is that there was definitely an element of what my own anxiety that I brought to the role and brought into college and has probably been bubbling away under the surface this whole time, but also an environment that brought that to the surface. And I definitely found the exact same thing too. I think that what struck me after college was hearing that statistic of one in five people in their life will suffer from a mental health condition is bullshit. It is everyone. Like, go back and do some research. <laughs> Come back to me when your answer says that. Um, yeah. And again, it's we, we were so young and having all of that put on us, I don't think, yeah, that you should blame yourself for having a, a coping mechanism that was to retreat and hide for a couple of days at a time to get by. I think when you're dealing with that much stuff and without many tools, yeah, it's, it's what happens. Yeah. Mm. I'm just deep in thought now. Uh, So I guess considering everything we've just talked about, relating it back to where you are now. Yeah. Where do you see your place in it? In this new world, in this pandemic era, where do I see myself? I think I see myself as much stronger, as much more compassionate towards myself 
which is like a much better starting point to be dealing with all of these new things and changes in my life. But it's also such a strange time because we have no idea where our world's going to be in a month, in a week, next year and four years. And I don't think there's ever been such a sense of global uncertainty and personal uncertainty. It's nice to know that we're all in it together, but I think it's hard to draw a sense of worthiness from yourself when things aren't certain. Mm. So I think where I see myself is in a vulnerable position. I see myself at a point where I could put a lot of effort now and for the next however long into making sure that I stay healthy and well. But it's also a point where if I don't do that, I think my mental health would slip again. I think things could get really, really crappy for my brain. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think it's a lot of people as well would be in my position of feeling vulnerable and probably a lot more so. I'm so lucky. I've got two jobs. I've got stable support networks. So many people are not in a position right now with that and then add on all this world shit. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm in a vulnerable position, I can't imagine how some other people are feeling. But I I think although vulnerable, stronger than I was and more equipped. Yeah. What does that, what does that voice in your head sound like? Uh, More recently, anxious Annie has come to stay a bit. She's had her visits. I've never asked her for tea. So (laughs) kind of rude, very unannounced. But my voice, my voice, not anxious Annie's voice in my head recently has gotten a lot better at telling her to get fucked. And also a lot better at focusing on certain things and the here and now and taking time for myself. So sentences like, it's okay that you didn't get all of this finished today. It's okay that you got distracted. It's okay that you got stressed and anxious about something you didn't know how to do because we didn't choose this. We didn't choose to work from home. We're at home trying to work or you're at home trying to work with anxiety and without immediate contact to anyone that can help you work on this new task. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot more of a healthy dialogue. Yeah. What about you? How are you feeling about what's to come? <laughs> I think, you know, I've got no idea what my next four months or even short is going to look like. And yeah, very much in a transitory phase you know, with this podcast and, you know, it's all new. What I'm trying to do is all new, trying to graduate as quick as possible. That's new. Still working with the uni. Also, every day it's new. And I think similar to what I guess you're trying to tell yourself, that's what I try to tell myself as well. Do the best you can with the hand you're dealt. Mm. Everything's going to be fine. Like have the faith. Yeah, I think it's working with what I have and... You know, not stressing about what is going on all around me, Mm. but actually looking at the people and the relationships and the work and the opportunities that you have right in front of you, Mm. instead of worrying about what's going to, what it's going to look like in three months. Right. So I'm really taking the time to focus on the relationships that I have. Mm. I think it's God sent this whole pandemic situation. 
because I've spent more time with my family than I have in the last three years. Mm. It's allowed me to be in Singapore for the longest prolonged time I've been in probably like five years, yeah. I think. And it's, you know, all these things wouldn't have been possible without this uncertainty, I suppose. You know, if I'm always looking out for what's in front of me and what I'm going to be in a couple of months' time, you almost forget to look at where you are right now. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to not to look too far in the future mm. and take it like week to week and almost day to day a lot of the time. Definitely. Definitely. I think as well, one thing you touched on there, but you didn't say the word is gratitude. Like how amongst shit, how important it is to be grateful for all of the good little things that it's, it's bought. And I think that that's an awesome way to try to, yeah, I think that's awesome. Even just like, I know you're not giving advice right now, but taking it week by week, taking it month by month and staying grateful is, is a great way to try to get through. I think what we're, what we're going to have to get through. Yeah. <laughs> and gratitude is actually a really, really important one. Now that you brought it up, you know, I find with myself that it's almost impossible to be negative when I'm being grateful. Yeah. Same. <laughs> And you have this weird relationship with gratitude that I, that I had to have something happen to me in that day in order to be grateful for something. So I'd find myself in the spiral of, oh, I didn't really do anything today. I don't really have anything to be grateful for. But that was just so incorrect. And I think it fed into my, my own like misconceptions of what it meant to be like worthy or having, having a day that's worthy of my gratitude which was yeah. so silly. Whereas now when I make it a point to, to be grateful for five things every day, it could be something as silly as I'm grateful that I have electricity to run my fan because it's really, really warm. Yeah. And yeah, I'm grateful that you know, I had a bed to sleep in. And all of a sudden the worries of if I'm going to have a job in six months becomes not so bad. Mm. Because there's a lot of things, no matter what it could look like in the next couple of months, there's a lot of things I have to be grateful for right now. Mm. Yeah, it's that getting rid of that misconception of what you can be grateful for and the misconception of what is worthy of that. You just spoke my brain. <laughs> that whole experience that you outlined there totally resonates with me. That's exactly, I think, my journey as well. Yeah, and I think... Well, I guess one of the questions that I kind of want to ask and like considering everything we talked about today, mm. what has become true to you about yourself? Wow. Um, I think a big one that 2020 has shown me is uh, maybe I felt this last year as well, but I don't think I've ever been confronted so much with conversations that make me question this reality is what I am like for other people to be around. Mm. Um, this year I found myself having more conversations with people about the presence that I bring to their world, the energy that I exude when I'm around others. And I don't know if it's part of 
having more of those kind of conversations, whether it's part of getting a better grip on my anxiety, whether it's um, being way more self-aware, but I've gotten way better at taking compliments about that. And in a way where I actually feel like they're true. Like, I feel like I am an exciting person. I feel like I am a bright person, like a, a shiny person. And yeah, I think I'm just overall more aware that I'm a positive influence on other people. And I believe that. And I feel really excited and proud about that rather than believing all of the doubtful voices. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, mm, that's big. Because, mm. you know, in my mind, like, just as you said that, I'm, you know, I'm painting that picture of, of college Meg the Meg that I met for the first time. Mm. And I'm almost, you know, those were the things that people will have always said about you. Like Meg's got such high energy. Um, Meg just brings people together. Meg's so like comfortable in her own skin. Mm. And I think it's one thing to be, you know, told, but it's another thing to believe it yourself. And what I'm hearing from what you said is that it's made that transition from, or you've started to make that transition from believing what you are to other people instead of having other people believe it and you yourself not buying into it. Definitely. But isn't that such a weird paradox that I could exude something that I didn't believe, but ultimately I was? And it's like, I don't know if this is going to be too theoretical, but... (laughs) It's almost like I was this person and all of this self-doubt and all of those voices that I believed were true. It's like they were moss growing on a a rock. And the rock, though, was too big for the moss to cover. So I exuded all of that stuff, the, the brightness, the bringing people together. And now I feel like I'm actually just in the process of cleaning the moss off. Yeah. And, but it's, yeah, I just find it so strange that I could exude something I didn't believe. And now I'm starting to believe it. Yeah, that's awesome. But I'm the same. Well, I don't, I don't know how other people who've known me that whole time would see my change. Yeah. But I don't know if I've, I've projected things that are much different. Mm. Even though what the stories that I've been telling myself in my head have been, have changed so much along the way. Yeah. Whack. Fuck, man, the human brain. <laughs> cool. And I actually, yeah, I came across this and a friend of mine mentioned it to me yesterday, actually, but it's how to correctly accept a compliment. Tell me. And, you know, when you receive a compliment, like, ah, oh, Meg, you're really like high energy. And the right way to accept the compliment is just to say, thank you. It's true so cute and, yeah and you know it's like it's kind of like unnerving because it's just like am I being a little bit of a you know an ego freak am I just like loving myself in that moment you know where I relate this back to what you said is yeah, am I being arrogant versus am I owning a good thing that someone has mm. you know thought of me yeah owning so, your truth yeah you said about being this like outgoing optimistic person Mm. and back then when someone would tell you that you wouldn't believe them Mm. yeah where that sort of relates back thank you it's true is owning that positive effect that you have on somebody else and believing that you can be that person for them 
Yeah, and self-belief is such an important part of being able to achieve what you want to achieve in your life too. So without it, it can be so can be so hard to get what you want. So yeah. Mm. Oh, I think kid, I feel so I feel <laughs> so much right now. I'm like, <sighs> oh. For those of you who can't see me, I'm like just shaking my head and <laughs> just being like, whoa, what an a I feel simultaneously so elated and so overwhelmed with like joy that like <laughs> Yeah. I think there's How... um, almost no better place to sort of call it. Mm. It's been just a great conversation, as always. You know, oh, brings me so much joy talking to you, Kit. Oh, likewise. I feel like it was better than a psych session, some some of the ones I've had. <laughs> now, now, no sub, it's no substitute. Keeps no, 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 it's not. It's not. <laughs> I love my psych so much. And so just to finish off, um, Meg, I know how much of a fan of Brene Brown you are. And yeah, we just fangirl and fanboy over all the time. So we thought we'd just take a page out of... Renee's podcast and end this episode with a quick fire 10 questions. How's that sound, Meg? Oh, I'm excited. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, um, probably that you did the best at the time with the tools you had. Nice. What's your favorite movie ever? Oh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Incredible. Nice. I love that movie. Describe yourself as a teenager in three words. <laughs> Loud, sociable, passionate. <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, people that don't try. I cannot stand when people throw the towel in before they've even tried it. If you could be any other decade or era, which would it be? Be in any other decade? I would so want to be at the first ever Woodstock. I saw a clip of it the other day and I was like, that looks wild. I want to be. <laughs> I knew it. I had a feeling it would either be hippie or like disco. Yeah. <laughs> 70s. I probably want to be 20 in the 60s so that I could still like, enjoy the 70s. As <laughs> no children. I wouldn't have kids. I just want to party the whole like two decades. Party for two decades. Awesome. If your house was on fire, what two things would you run back in to get? Definitely my Paloma wool pants. <laughs> so, that is so shallow. Run back in to get pants. Um, I love them though. I love them so much. Um, and probably, ooh, probably this Mira, a painting by an artist called Mira that some of my best friends got me for my birthday and it's got the mountains in the background of boobs. <laughs> if you had a spirit animal, what would it be? A dolphin. They also have sex for pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best gift you've ever received? Oh, uh, my 18th birthday present, my parents got me a tent and that tent has seen me to a lot of great parties, a lot of great festivals, a lot of great hikes. So she's very special to me. Very easy to set up to. If anyone, anyone wants to buy one, Mountain Designs. <laughs> <laughs> They're not sponsoring. Sponsor. 
if you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh, wow. I was a bit of a Doctor Who fan growing up. So time travel would be so sick. But I reckon I'd feel too stressed that if I did something back in time that I'd fuck up the future. <laughs> so maybe like, maybe mind reading. Mm, yeah. Mm. And that was our last question. Thank you so much, Meg. I had such a great time. Oh, me too, Kit, as always. And yeah, that's the episode for those listening. Hope you had a great time too. And yeah, stay tuned for the next episode of The Story I Tell Myself. Hell yeah, baby. Woo, woo.